Welcome to the Skift Podcast, weekly conversations on global travel trend lines. Hotel companies keep us busy here at Skift. If they're not buying each other to create giant new hospitality companies, they're fighting to get customers to book directly, dreaming up new brands, or figuring out how to keep guests from turning to Airbnb. On today's episode of the Skift Podcast, we're talking about trends in hospitality and hearing directly from some of the industry's top leaders. Hotel executives from all over the world were in New York recently for the NYU International Hospitality Industry Investment Conference, and my colleagues Deanna Ting and Greg Oates recorded interviews with many of them. Deanna and Greg are joining me in this gift office today to talk about the themes that emerged and give insight into the interviews that they did with executives from Marriott International, Choice Hotels, Red Lion Hotels, Virgin Hotels, and Accor Hotels. Thanks for being here, guys. Good to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, and let me start by asking, what do you think was weighing most heavily on the crowd this year? Were there any overarching themes that emerged? I think it was interesting because a lot of the executives there talked about the cycle and sort of where the industry is in terms of growth and ADR. Um, there's an analogy that everyone used was sort of baseball and what inning are we in because this is a cyclical business. And while you know, I think the industry has been so healthy over the last few years, everyone's looking ahead to where um, when that's going to dip, how far it's going to dip, because it always happens. Um, and how does that sort of influence their development um, pipelines? And it's, it's really interesting because speaking with like the CFO for Omni Hotels, for example, he said that, you know, it wasn't very positive because of where ADR is at and it's only grown a couple percentage points. So even though it's still so healthy, I think everyone's looking ahead and there's a little bit of concern about how to adapt to the what they see as a, as a pending dip. Um, just no one knows when it's going to happen. And when you're and when you're saying ADR, probably everybody knows what that means, but average daily rates. So how much we're paying when we stay in a hotel. Right. And the, for these for, you know, a lot of these executives, the conversation begins and ends with ADR. You know, they're looking at their owners and their stakeholders, and that's the only thing that matters. All these trends um, that we talk about are interesting from a consumer-facing standpoint, um, but for these guys, it's you know, it's all about rate. Bottom line, yeah. Anything, anything else that you spotted, Deanna? Um, I, I think I'd, I'd sort of add on to Greg's assessment. Uh, I think it was interesting that a lot of the brands, a lot of the management companies were very, very optimistic about the future. Um, but on the other hand, the actual stakeholders, the, the hotel owners, the property owners ha- offered a much more skeptical viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is definitely, it definitely felt like this was a year of transition, mm-hmm. that everyone's kind of waiting to see what happens next, but they're trying to prepare themselves for whatever may take place. And that's why they're investing so heavily in branding and investing so heavily in their pipelines, um, their marketing, the direct booking pushes, their loyalty programs, because they, they want to make sure they're prepared for the future. And you just touched on a lot of things that we're going to talk about. So that's a good preview. No, but going just to look at that overarching perspective, both Arnie Sorensen, the CEO of Marriott, and uh, Chris Nassetta, the CEO of Hilton, 
really went out of the way to paint this rosy picture from a global perspective in terms of you know what they're calling just unprecedented growth in emerging markets. Um, so when they talk about the rosiness of the industry, they're really looking at what's happening in China and India, even though there's you know economic issues there, but there's just so many secondary and tertiary markets that they feel um, are untapped. So I think you know, looking into the future, we could see a lot more discussion and development, especially um, both actually both in mid and upscale um, product, just a lot of new destinations popping up over the next decade. Um, so bringing it back home for a brief minute, um, a lot of what I saw on the agenda for the conference and based on some of the conversations that you guys had, um, it looked like there were some social and political issues that are maybe potentially interfering with um, with travel, especially travel to some destinations, um, even though they specifically are, are unrelated to travel. So Marriott International, which is um, which is poised to become the world's largest hotel company when it finishes its acquisition of Starwood, um, it's pretty outspoken about LGBT rights. And Deanna, you asked CEO Arnie Sorensen about that. I think this is really one of the most interesting things about being in a public company uh, job is what what issues should you speak about? Uh, and I think the, the approach we take is we should speak about issues that we care about, but we should also speak about issues which are germane to our business. Uh, and so obviously we've spoken out on things like the North Carolina bathroom bill, for example, many LGBT issues. Uh, it shouldn't surprise you to know that we think that's very germane to our business. We are in the hospitality business. We welcome everybody, uh, whether they be part of our workforce or whether they be part of our guest community. Uh, and it's really relevant to business. So in North Carolina, for example, we think there's $100 million of business which has not booked into North Carolina because of the bill that has been passed by the state. That's bad for the business. It's bad for the state of North Carolina. It's really not fair to the people of North Carolina who are hospitable, by and large. Uh, and so we think that's a place that it's appropriate for us to step out. That doesn't necessarily mean that every issue that I have a personal point of view on, I will speak out about publicly if it's not germane to Marriott's business. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, have we been hurt by it? I don't think so. I think uh, by and large, these are issues of the day. And as long as we are uh, constructive in our approach to them, we'll not satisfy everybody, of course, but I think people understand that we've got a, uh, point of view, which is uh, relevant and worth hearing. So uh, were there other issues of the day that you guys were hearing about, whether or not they were directly uh, linked to travel? I think there was a lot of talk about terrorism, of course. Um, people were referring to it as the new normal, which is all kinds of scary, um, because it's not anymore where, oh, there's certain destinations where, you know, there's trepidation about traveling to now. I mean, these kind of events are happening everywhere. And the industry by and large has really no idea about how to address this, how to speak about this. Um, so that's just sort of this lingering, overarching, um, I don't want to call it a trend, but conversation. Um, but it's not like if we're talking about Airbnb or Zika, there's ways to combat this. There's nothing the industry can do about this. There's nothing the industry can do to prepare anyone. I mean, when you look at what's happened in Paris and Brussels and Istanbul, uh, how do you address that? So that's a conversation, but I think what's different this time around is there's there's not even a direction about you know any kind of, of solution. Um, there's also been a lot of talk about Zika, and um, there was some 
conversation about maybe the hotel industry could start partnering with health organizations to sort of talk about how do we address these fears when these things happen because they're not one-offs. Um, Jonathan Tish with Lowe's Hotels, the CEO of Lowe's Hotels, mentioned you know sort of establishing some kind of official framework so when these outbreaks happen you know, the hotel industry can come in and say, look, here are the facts. And we don't want to overreact, but we want to make sure everyone's prepared um, just so that the the travelers is much better educated. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And, you know, Tish is exactly someone who could push that forward. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Cuba, which is itself a hot button issue in travel and politics, both. Um, and Marriott slash Starwood is... It were poised to make some moves there. Um, and Deanna, you spoke to Arnie again, and he had a little bit to say on that. We have, um, obviously, Starwood has signed two and has a letter of intent on a third. Uh, Marriott has been in discussions with um, a number of potential partners in Cuba about a, some additional hotels. Uh, as far as I know, still only Starwood and Marriott have been approved by the U.S. Treasury Department to do business in Cuba, uh, which is not so much uh, about uh, our worthiness as it is about starting that application process early and trying to figure out how to do business in Cuba. And uh, so we've moved quickly. We continue to believe that Cuba uh, is uh, unrivaled in the way it captures the imagination of the leisure traveler in the United States. I think a big part of that is driven by the history between Cuba and the United States. And people have a sense that this is a place that they should go see. And so we're really excited about being able to be there to welcome them. And I'm hopeful that we can open uh, the first hotel, again, assuming we get this merger done, the first hotel in our company by late this year or early next year. And, of course, some companies have already been operating in Cuba for years, including uh, Accor, which is a French hotel company. Um, And, Deanna, you asked their CEO of Hotel Services for North and Central America, um, Christophe Lowe, how American involvement might change the hotel scene that exists in Cuba. And um, it sounded like it might change it a lot. Do you think the influx of Americans coming to Cuba will sort of change the tourism landscape there dramatically? It, it would, it would. But I think that uh, it cannot be in one day. Uh, and if tomorrow two million of uh, American or North American travelers just visit Cuba, uh, the the hotel business industry in this in the in the island cannot handle it. Uh, so uh, this is interesting that we need to to manage time and to make sure that uh, yes the hotel industry is is growing but the infrastructure is aligning too because it's not only about hotel you need to be able to supply the hotel you need to be able to uh, provide Wi-Fi technology services you should be able to to provide good food air conditioning, uh, nice transportation, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that there's a trend. And uh, yes, you're going to do that in one or two, a couple of years, but on, on five, ten years plan, it, it would be a, 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 a great place to, uh, to travel. So were you hearing, Diana, a lot of excitement about Cuba uh, from the conversations that you were having or overhearing? I think there's a lot of anticipation. Um, I think it's still very early for a lot of the hotel companies. Obviously, uh, Marriott and Starwood have sort of like planted their flags there already. Um, they've done the legwork and filed the right paperwork with the, the U.S. government and the Cuban government um, to open hotels there. I do recall um, during one of the panels, I believe, 
Choice Hotel CEO Stephen P. Joyce uh, mentioned that Choice is exploring some Cuba um, properties, uh, but it's still a little bit early, but it's definitely on on their minds. Yeah. Um, so another thing on everybody's minds, but I don't think anybody is truly excited about is um, the way that consumers have kind of been conditioned to shop around uh, on various online sites before they book a room. Um, maybe they'll go to Expedia instead of Marriott.com or, or even like Priceline or Hotwire. Um, hotel companies are striking back with special rates or incentives, and that's leading to something that we as gifts sometimes call the direct booking wars. Um, how big a deal is that right now? Um, how common a theme was that? I think for the hotel owners, that's one of the biggest deals because, you know, they want to capture one, the direct engagement with the customer and also, of course, not have to pay the fees to the OTAs. I think there's just, though, this huge cultural issue in terms of the buyer and how they've been conditioned um, by buying through the OTAs because the OTAs have done such a great job of making it such a seamless experience. And that's hard to, you know, change that in people's perceptions. Um, also, I don't think that the the consumer really understands that there's that much of a better deal, perhaps, um, booking direct. I think the hotels like Hilton, especially with the Stop Clicking Around program, is the first time where there's really been, uh, you know, a brand-wide concerted effort to, to communicate that. Um, but I just don't see that changing anytime soon because people are just so used to going to the OTAs and they want all it's almost like they want to really see all the different rates just to make sure that they're feel like they're shopping around getting the best rate even if hilton say no really we have the best one but the consumers say okay maybe but i'm still going to look around um but i i think the thing that gets me as as someone who books travel is i always book direct because if something changes something happens i have someone to talk to you know if i'm booking through booking.com and i want to change some of that i mean who are you going to call <laughs> so I think that the hotels really just need to keep working on contact content and ram this message home or come out with like video storytelling or just do a better job of really, um, you know, hammering that message home. And we're getting, we're, we're hearing a lot from Marriott, but again, they're about to become the biggest hotel company. Um, so Arnie Sorensen talked about direct booking uh, and here he is again. Well, we've got uh, Marriott member rates, Marriott reward member rates, which uh, I was pleased to see uh, being marketed in the airports yesterday when I traveled uh, on uh, video screens all around. Uh, and uh, on some level, what this really is about is amplifying what has been the case for a long time, which is that the best rates have always been available on Marriott.com. Uh, notwithstanding that, I think too many customers have got the sense that there must be better rates someplace else. And part of that is the way other channels have marketed their own sites uh, with uh, advertising campaigns that seem to imply that the rates are lower than the rates that are available through the proprietary sites. That has not been the case for a long, long time. Uh, and what we wanted to do to really be able to amplify the best rates being on our channels is to actually go even further. And to say, if you book direct with us, you'll get a discount uh, if you're a rewards member from the rates that would be available for other channels. Obviously, if they book directly with us, it's a less expensive reservation for us. So still net net to our 
system. It is a uh, economically attractive rate for us. And in a sense, it's a way for us to share some of that benefit with our customer. It's still relatively early. Uh, we've really just started to market it in the last few weeks. Uh, but we are seeing uh, increased signups to the rewards program and increased volume through our channels, all of which would tell us that this is a promising uh, venture. Um, Tiana, I think that you ask somebody like who will win the direct booking wars mm-hmm. that they seem I'm confident so. in, in no, no, victory. <laughs> no one seems super confident in calling it. Um, but I, I, I think most of the time I've heard that some people are kind of leaning more toward the brands, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Right. Uh, and so a lot of the ways that it seems like hotels are fighting for those direct bookings is by playing up their loyalty programs. And I don't know, for someone like me who, you know, I'm not, I'm not booking with Marriott every time or Hilton every time because of, of rewards points or anything, because I'll stay wherever is cheap and let's a dog stay, frankly. Um, so I, it sounded like at least some hotel companies are evolving their loyalty programs to be less like, okay, we'll reward multiple stays with an extra night. Um, Choice Hotel COO and President Pat Pacious had something interesting to say about how they're doing that. Um, and Choice is a company that includes the brands Comfort Inn, Cambria, Clarion, Econo Lodge. Um, here he is. Back in February, we launched a totally new Uh, set of uh, features in the program. Uh, Points don't expire. So a lot of, uh, I know a lot of uh, rewards program members and other brands are worried about their value of their points getting devalued. We actually have increased the value of our points. And secondly, we offer an instant rewards. Um, The consumer today wants instant gratification. So today, if you sign up for our program and stay in our hotel, we're going to deliver to you uh, on your uh, mobile app a Starbucks gift card, an Amazon gift card, 20 cents off a gallon of gas at Shell. Um, We now have a relationship with Uber, uh, Tim Hortons in Canada. So it's all about providing features that guests who travel with us are looking for, and they want it immediately. They don't want to wait till they've stayed 20 nights before they reach a certain level, and then they finally get some amenity package. Um, And again, that's responding to what the consumer expectation is doing, which is they want instant gratification instant gratification. I don't know. Do you think that you think that'll do it? Do you think more people are going in that direction? Um, in addition to choice, I know that Redline has also sort of adopted this more kind of retail centric loyalty program where you get instant rewards and um, recognition, um, smaller rewards. Um, so you don't have to stay like 10 nights in a row to, to finally get your free night or anything like that. Um, yeah. But it could be interesting. Uh, I think one complication to loyalty is that sometimes you don't even know who you're being loyal to anymore. Um, So many companies are coming up with new brands, new names. It seems like there were stretches when there was like almost one new brand every week or sometimes multiple. Um, Some of these that have come around in the last year or two, uh, Hyatt-centric, Unbound, True, T-R-U, Radisson Red, Moxie, um, and then Trump Hotels apparently is coming out with something that still is unnamed, but will not include the name Trump. Um, so, Deanna, you very politely asked the choice uh, president about this. And um, I don't think his answer did much to reassure me uh, that the proliferation of hotel brands will end anytime soon. I know you mentioned um, now, too, the, the decision to 
um, sort of launch new brands where you felt like you didn't have brands before. Um, and everyone's talking about the power of brands um, and, you know, branding is everything. Um, but, you know, sometimes I feel like you know, just when I talk with my friends or, or, you know, family, they're just like, they get so confused. <laughs> there's there's so many hotel brands out there, so many different hospitality brands in this space. Um, do you think with that proliferation of hotel brands that, you know, it's confusing or unnecessary or it, it tends to dilute the power of the brands that, that are in existence? Or what's your take on branding and, and hospitality? Now, branding is still very important. Um it's, you know, it represents more than just, you know, the sign on the door. There's a whole customer experience. There's a service culture inside. There's a product difference inside the brands. But we just finished an eight-month study where we went and looked at what is it that consumers, what are their pain points um, as they come, you know, in through the booking process. Um, and their biggest pain point is the sort of anxiety over ch- choosing a brand, um, anxiety over price. Am I getting the best price? And then location. Do I know where I'm going? If you dialed back 20, 30 years and asked what are the consumer decision points, they're the same points, product, location, and price. Um, they just have more choices now. And so what we're doing with our loyalty program, what we're doing with a lot of what we're doing in our marketing is to try to cut through the clutter a little bit and really define what the brands are, really define what the consumer is going to get. And the way you do that is you have to be very clear and transparent on your pricing. Um, as far as the product goes, we have our own verified these are people who stay in our hotels reviews of the hotels themselves what's the experience like is the hotel under construction is the hotel newly renovated those types of things um, and that's really helped i think sort of help the consumer make that decision through the booking process as they're sort of bombarded to your point with all the brands that are out there today all the various you know different pricing that they can see across the web um, and then ultimately what do i know about this location um, can I get some relevant content to me about what my travel experience is going to look like? Um, so Greg, do you, do you see that there is any end to the, um, the continued adding of more, of more new brands that are going for different segments? Geez, I don't know how there's room for too many more <laughs> because all of the, you know, major flags have rolled out new lifestyle brand, multiple lifestyle brands. We've interviewed the brand leaders for every company out there. Um, I And a lot of these new brands, even though they've been rolled out, there's no actual hotels, right? Like, I don't know how many, um, some of those ones you mentioned, the, the Trues and the Unbounds. Well, the Unbounds is a soft brand, but some of the, the new brands, um, there's not really a lot of hotels, so I don't even know what to expect. Um, and it's also hard for us because we, you know, live and breathe this industry all the time and we book hotels. And how do, how do you separate your own personal opinions from, you know, the mainstream consumer and, and how these brands can scale um, and drive adoption, nation, you know, globally? Um, I think that we've kind of hit a peak point. I don't think there really needs to be any more brands. I don't know where you would, you know, what space is left. Um, except maybe in some of this unique like co-living, co-working type of brands that are trying to adopt a certain lifestyle trends in terms of work-life balance and stuff like that. There's some cool things happening there, but I think it's saturated. And I and then also I always come from the viewpoint of the millennials um, because there was driving trends for all the older generations too. And I just don't hear a lot of millennials getting excited about any of these um lifestyle brands that are being rolled out by the legacy brands or loyalty 
you know, points. It just doesn't seem to fit into their general, you know, consumer behavior. So I'd like to see it stop. You know, I think there's <laughs> enough hotel brands and unless someone can come out with some something new and interesting, but you know, I haven't really seen that recently. Um, well, that brings us to Airbnb, which is, um, you know, a, a name and a company that, um, I think for a while we didn't see like hotel executives taking on that serious or, or maybe just not talking about that much publicly, but, um, obviously it's not something they can ignore. Uh, Deanna, did you, did you see, what kind of evidence did you see of the way that, um, hotel CEOs are talking now about Airbnb? You know, I think it's still sort of the same. I think they still sort of have this um, attitude that Airbnb offers, you know, this sort of like radically different type of experience. It's not quite the same as what a hotel can offer. So they don't need to compete with Airbnb. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's a bit foolish to to assume that. Uh, and there there are some CEOs that that sort of realized that. Um, that's why you saw earlier um, Accor Hotels investing heavily in um, these uh, these startups that that kind of blend um, the sharing economy with like the traditional hospitality. So, you know, they um, they outright bought one fine stay out of London. Um, they also invested in Oasis Collections and Square Break, which are sort of like vacation rental type spaces. Um, but you know, I think for the most part, they they didn't seem very concerned. They they seem to say, "Look, Airbnb plays in that sandbox, and <laughs> we we don't, and we're going to be fine." But I think traditionally, that's what they've been doing is downplaying the impact of Airbnb, but mostly from a political standpoint, they don't want to raise more concern. Um, they don't want to give this any more exposure than it's already getting. The room sharing, specifically, you know, I think of Airbnb. Um, and how it's grown. I mean, at Davos this year, the CIO for Airbnb said that since opening, I guess in 2008, they've welcomed 70 million guests. 40 million of those were in 2015. So they welcomed more guests in 2015 than the seven years combined previous, right? So that's the kind of, you know, hockey stick growth that we're, we're seeing there. So if you look at how the brands have been reacting to that, I go back a couple of years and Mike DePady, who was then CEO of Kimpton said, we're not worried about um, Airbnb because they're a hundred dollars and less. We're in the 200 range. That was, you know, how he characterized it. And clearly that's not um, relevant anymore because Airbnb is at all price points, but that just sort of shows how they were thinking about it and just completely outright dismissing it. But I think what happened that was interesting at NYU this year was Arnie, uh, Marriott sort of drew the, a line in the sand for the first time to acknowledge it, but here's how we're going to um, sort of adapt to what's happening. He said that we're not worried about the individual Airbnb owner that's renting out a room or renting out their house while they're away. You know, that individual owner that's just trying to, to make a few extra dollars and wants to be part of what I think is just a really exciting trend in, in global travel period because the hosts love being hosts when you go to the Airbnb conferences. Um, what Arnie said, though, is that what we have problems with is the professional Airbnb owner, the person that's making a career out of this and is buying up multiple units. Um, and those are the ones that we're going after and say, OK, if you want to do that, fine. But you have to, um, you know, embrace all the rules and regulations that we have to so that we have a, a, a you know, fair playing field. So I thought that was interesting. It's kind of like leave the 
the Airbnb individual owners alone, which is what Airbnb says it's all about and that they're trying to um, develop that and then really go after these professional owners. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deanna, you asked Red Lion Hotels about this. They're based in Seattle, so um, you know they've got a kind of a techie vibe, I guess, to them. And um, CFO Brian Quinn gave you this answer. Do you think that there is a level playing field as it is right now in terms of the sharing economy and um, short-term rental platforms like Airbnb? Like, do, do, is, is the playing field level? And if not, how could it be more level? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, uh, we're going to we're going through a very exciting time, right? Where again, uh, uh, our genesis is the Pacific Northwest, so a lot of amazing things have come out of that part of the world, uh, as has uh, Uber and Airbnb and and those kind of things. I think uh, is it a fair playing field today? No, um, they're not. Uh, the the I, I think there's two categories of folks that play in that space. If it's somebody that's trying to find a few incremental dollars and rent out their you know back bedroom, you, there's a place for that. And, and I don't think they're playing in the, the hotel business. You look at some of the major markets: New York, San Francisco, Miami. There was just some big media where somebody is buying all ten condos in a building, and they're putting a host out front, and they're Airbnbing the whole thing. They're not. Not, not even a full-time resident, they don't even reside there, they're really a hotel. And if they are, then you know, they should be subject to the same elements. And you know, I think the market will correct some of it, right? Unfortunately, we may have to go through a few emergencies or tragedies to get there, but uh, um, I think you know, you've got to have something around cleanliness and safety and security and privacy. And uh, you, know, uh, you think about what we went through with ADA and the, and the, uh, and the pool lifts, right? And we want to welcome everybody and we, we want everyone to be able to enjoy their stay at RLHC hotels, but that was a big, expense to make sure that uh, certain guests could enjoy the entire experience of the hotel and you know an Airbnb owner wouldn't wouldn't bear that cost so how do you that is not a, that is an unfair element to a certain extent but I think I think the, the market will correct it to a certain extent the other thing is uh, local municipalities want their tax dollars so I think we have a partner in uh, <laughs> in correcting this at some point because there's uh, a lot of the the state travel funds are funded by the bed tax so uh, we're to stay on Airbnb for a minute because it's um, a thing that we write a lot about. Greg, you talked to Raul Leal, who's the CEO of Virgin Hotels. I think they have one hotel open at this point, right? Um, and I think he gave a really interesting answer that kind of turned into um, an exploration of maybe why Airbnb resonates with millennials and why some brands that are supposed to be um, appealing to millennials are are maybe not doing the job I think yeah so I'll, I'll, maybe these are maybe this may be controversial but I think I'll say I think if you own a branded hotel somewhere that has no experience and that's all it is there's nothing special about it I think you're in trouble over the next 10 years I think that Airbnb changes the game dramatically for people seeking new experiences which is a lot today and not just millennials and the people that are going to take a look at it as an alternative and say why wouldn't i do this think about new york for a minute new york is you know the greatest city in the world it's all little neighborhoods you can stay in new york 10 times a year and check out every little new neighborhood and it's at whatever level of authenticity i mean like you could actually do that right it's a great and i've tried it right 
And I'm saying that I think from the perspective of experiences, it's going to hurt the industry if the industry doesn't have a perspective on a product, a strong perspective on a product and the experience side of it. There's some brands that will absolutely get hurt. And there's other ones. If they're strong enough, you know, they're strong enough in the sense of how established they are and that what they provide to their basic consumers. So I think it's just more, uh, it's certainly more product in the market. It's another alternative. And I think it's something that we have to deal with. But I think it forces the industry, hopefully, to, to instead of continuing to roll out new products and new products and new products, to think through those products before they take them to market. I have a... Uh, millennial daughter who just graduated from uh, UVA and went, went to work for Atlanta in, uh, at SunTrust. And, uh, you know, she knows the hotel business because I've been in it, but has no interest. She stayed at a product that will remain unnamed. And uh, she, she said, uh, she said, Dad, I stayed at X hotel. And he said, well, how'd you like it? And she goes, well, there's nothing really special about it. But the company put me up there because we're next to us, the location, whatever else. I said, I said, well, you know, that product was created by this brand because it's what millennials want. And so she said, um, you know, Dad, they don't get it. Millennials don't want to be told where to stay or what, or what it should look like. We'd like to make that decision ourselves, and we'd like to experience new things. He said, so if that's what they're doing for millennials... She said, I think they're going to be very, it's going to be very difficult. So it's an interesting point of view. She's not, she doesn't represent the entire demographic of all millennials, right? But it's a point of view, I think, of today that it not only expands beyond millennials, it applies to all of us. I think today we don't want to be told where to stay anymore or what the experience is. We do want it to be a little special and unique, and we're willing to pay for it. And it's totally not about the points all the time. And sometimes it is about the points, but not like it was 10 years ago when it was all about the points. So that's what I think. That was a lot. He thought a lot about that. Um, you're Greg. You're the millennial expert <laughs> in the office. Um, do you agree that 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 population uh, is feeling kind of pandered to and just over it? I think there's a lot of fatigue around the word millennial, both among millennials and older generations, for sure, because <clears throat> there's been so much talk about it. Um, from the perspective of millennials are this, millennials want this, as if there's one millennial. Um, and I think that from so many different discussions um, with millennial travelers, it's like they don't want to be labeled as this is who we are, this is what they want. There's no such thing as a millennial psychographic. It depends um, on so many different factors. Um, but at the same time, there's a very, very clear shift in different types of consumer behaviors with this generation. Um, so you have to look at that and you have to examine it. Um, I think when any brand comes out and says, we're going after the millennial market, that makes millennials maybe lean back on their heels a little bit um, because they don't want to be catered to, specifically because of their age. I think that maybe takes away from what they perceive as their own individual um, desires as a consumer. Um, but I, I, I still think it's a really, really important subject. Um, but a lot of times we're just talk, we're just talking about, you know, the word millennial when 
it could also just be the modern traveler, the next generation traveler. Um, he really talked about a lot there. That was in response to a question that because there's so many lifestyle brands, is, is our lifestyle hotels becoming a commodity? Um, he touched a little bit about that and then how Airbnb caters to the millennial and why, um, which is a whole other subject. Um, but I think that the millennial conversation is, is going to be here um, still for a long time. And, and that, I think, translates to how hotels are evolving for the future with technology, loyalty, as we discussed, um, their product offerings. Red Lion CEO Greg Mount talked about the direction that they're going, and he brought up a lot of topics that we're familiar with from writing about food and beverage, um, eliminating desks and bedrooms, which, you know, we'll see how that turns out for them because that could be controversial. Um, but then he also added something a little, a little more cuddly at the end. You know, we've looked at this and said, okay, what, is a, what does a customer really want uh, in a good, solid, three-star upscale hotel? You know, we're focusing on our lobby. We're focusing on a great coffee experience. We're focusing on, you know, our living stages and bringing in, you know, great speakers that are talking about relevant things for that community or that regional area. Um, you know, we're... we're you know, eliminating, you know, the need for a desk in a room because most people don't use it anymore. They either sit on their bed or they sit at a chair with a great C table. You know, we eliminated uh, room service, but have a great, you know, bento box and pickup program for people that want to, you know, want to bring something back to their room. Um, you know, we've eliminated the need for front desks in our hotels, right? There's just no need for it anymore. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times I check in a hotel now and I have to go to the front desk and I go through that, you know, first I got to decide, okay, which line should I be in and can I stand on the red carpet or the blue carpet, right? And then once I make that determination, it's usually a 15-minute process to check in. Well, right now, you can go to any of our RLs and you check in here and you don't even stop by the front desk. There's no need for it. Um, so I think it's really going to be continuing to kind of innovate around uh, a technology and really mirror the lifestyles of the consumers, not only at the hotels, but how they want to book hotels, right? And that's going to be a big part of it. And lastly, I think it's bringing some things to the, you know, you know, I was at our RL in Baltimore uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, and they finally have got their, their uh, uh, they got this beautiful uh, golden uh, lab retriever that, 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 you know, is there in the hotel in the lobby. And it's an amazing thing. You don't really realize it. And you walk in that lobby, right? And it's a great lobby. There's a lot of things going on. It's very animated. But there's this great dog just kind of sitting there looking at you, right? And you just walk over and pet it, right? And it's just something, uh, I don't know what the word is, but it's common, Common, right? yeah. You know, you've been on airplanes. You've been in, you know, Uber cabs or whatever. And all of a sudden you walk in and go, oh, wow. And, you, you know, you just kind of settle in. So I think it's starting to, to, to you know, align ourselves more with our consumer and what they're looking for. Uh, you know, versus putting them through what we think they should go through when they arrive at a hotel. And Dieta, you also asked um, Christoph Alo from Accor about what he envisions in the future. And um, his answer also went to a kind of unexpected place. Last question. Uh, where do you sort of see the future of hospitality headed? You know, five, ten years from now, what do you think we're going to be talking about at, the, at this type of setting in this conference? Oh, I think that probably, yes, a kind of concentration again. Uh, I, I don't think that the number of brands will decrease. I'm sure that the number of brands will increase, definitely. More specific, maybe 
uh, not that big either. I'm not sure that you can have in the future a brand with thousands of hotels, but smaller uh, numbers of property within the same brand to keep it unique, to keep it uh, specific. Uh, I think the digital will be part of the uh, customer journey, definitely. Uh, uh, there is no way to split digital and non-digital. It should be and it would be embedded uh, within uh, the, the, the hotelier experience. I do think that uh, we would have more and more entertainment within the hotel, like uh, all this F&B activity uh, and, and the trend is for more playful uh, experience, uh, not only digital experience. Um, and just imagine, if you have asked me this question 10 years ago, I'm not sure that I would quote that Airbnb will be that great and the OTA will be that strong. So when I, I listened recently, uh, the CEO of uh, Tesla, he said that uh, for sure in 2025, somebody can go to, 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 to the moon. Uh, and he said, I will probably be buried in, uh, in, uh, in, 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 in another planet. So maybe someday we will have some Starship Hotel or something. So why not? We should have some crazy dream just to push up innovation. Uh, but certainly not in the ten, next 10 years. So dogs in the lobby and uh, Starship Hotel <laughs> crazy dreams. Uh, I guess we'll see if any of those things catch on. But any other predictions, uh, maybe, you know, closer to earth predictions, <laughs> you guys? I don't know. When we, you know, talk about all these legacy brands and we talk to these executives, I just, I, where's the excitement? you know, about the, the, the travel experience because we talk about, okay, you might save a few dollars here if you book direct or there's this loyalty program offers an extra night here or there or you can, you don't have to go to the lobby anymore. You can check in with your phone and it goes on and on and on. And I don't know, I just, I don't get excited anymore by any of it. So where is the excitement? I think obviously the excitement's with Airbnb because there's this, you know, sense of spontaneity um, when you show up, you're not in a contrived corporate atmosphere, even all of the lifestyle hotels, these new brands, um, the, the lifestyle brands that the corporate hotels are rolling out. This still feels, I think, like a corporate experience. So we look at the Airbnbs and room sharing because it's an organic, spontaneous experience. It's definitely local. Um, you're discovering this little restaurant, this little bar, this little bookstore, specifically because you stayed in Airbnb away from the hotel zone. Um, so obviously there's just a huge amount of interest and excitement there, but within the hospitality space, I'm looking at, you know, the Virgin hotels and ACE hotels, because speaking with, um, Brad Wilson, the CEO of ACE hotels, he says, you know, every hotel is a one-off. We build every single hotel from a blank slate. We're not bringing any kind of corporate framework, um, into the development process, which is a very, very expensive way to build hotels. But there's only 10 of them. So I'm thinking a brand like that, if it's only 10 hotels, I can very easily understand and embrace um, what that brand is about. And that resonates with me because each property is an individual experience. And Virgin Hotels said same thing, you know, 20, 30 hotels, that's where they want to max out. So I think these smaller brands and the consortia brands um, are where I'll, are going to start attracting more and more market share um, from younger travelers because they feel real and they feel individual. Deanna, you live and breathe these things. Um, <laughs> what do you think? What are your predictions? Oh gosh. Um, 
I definitely have to agree with with Greg on his assessments. Um, I think that there is a sort of a certain sort of spontaneity that is lacking from a lot of the the hotel experiences that we have right now, the moment, and that's sort of what all the brands are trying to strive to achieve and to deliver. Um, but I, I do think, you know, when he mentioned co-living and co-working, um, I think that is definitely like an area of convergence that um, where we're going to see a lot more more hospitality brands step into a little bit more. Um, I think this idea of like personal, professional work, life, like everything kind of blurring all together, your home versus your home away from home, like all of these things coming together. I think it definitely plays in that space. And I think that we could definitely see more developments that kind of borrow elements from that, uh, like sort of like modern boarding house type of <laughs> arrangement. Yeah. If there was a hotel brand that converted their lobbies into like a co-working space and then developed a network of of knowledge sharing and where you could partner with people and there was work opportunities and we've seen this in some small hotels um, in Europe where their lobby is now a co-working space and you sign in um, and you know everyone has a profile and you can see who's around you and who they are and you can introduce yourself or you can opt out of that if you want like that's something that's really really cool and if you know that's a brand that i would definitely be interested in looking at we've written about sort of like this idea of the smart hotel of the future the co-work hotel of the future but just for hotels to start aligning with what's happening just you know in modern lifestyle trends um i think we're going to see some movement in that area and that offers a little bit of excitement <laughs> All right. Deanna and Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. <laughs>